welcome to the Board Shorts podcast, where we deliver board and director-related concepts and information to help you survive and thrive in the boardroom. Welcome to episode number 27 of the Board Shorts podcast. It is great to have you here. I'm Lisa Cook, founder and managing director of Get On Board Australia. And today I'm talking with Joanna Bloor about mastering your unique value proposition to boost your board career. When you meet someone new, how do you answer the question, what do you do? It's such a simple question but it strikes fear into most people. Turns out there is actually a way to answer this very question that enables you to start a potentially valuable conversation. Your answer to that question should be framed in what I call your unique value proposition. It's something that I work on with every aspiring board member. Knowing your unique value proposition is like a key that unlocks opportunities for you in the boardroom and in other contexts, such as your professional career. My conversation with Joanna, who describes herself as a potentialist, adventurer, and aspiring fairy godmother, and you'll have to listen as to why she's known as that will show you why and how to tell stories about yourself that demonstrate just how awesome you are. This is something that after listening to this conversation, you probably want to see in action. And that's why I've shared a link in the show notes to a YouTube video of Joanna working through this process live with an audience participant. Check that out because it is so powerful. Now, today is such a fun conversation about an area that I believe every professional should invest in perfecting, particularly if you're aspiring to get on boards. So grab your notebook and settle in. Joanna, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast. I am absolutely delighted to virtually beam in to Australia, one of my favorite places. Yes, it's so wonderful that we can do that uh, these days. It's amazing. Uh, But the whole reason that you and I uh, came to be connected was around this concept that I teach and that it turns out that you teach people too around their unique value proposition. I talk about it in the context of people's board careers and you largely talk to people about it in relation to their professional careers. So what is your perspective on unique value propositions? Because I know you call it something different and you see a little bit different than what I do. So so tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, you work with just bored people and it's actually why I reached out because I was like, oh, look, somebody else talking about this. And I just think, I think actually, well, my focus today is anybody who has kind of what I would describe as a white collar job. And all the way from kind of entry level, all the way through to executive and board roles too. I actually think it's such a universal construct because um, this is to the, what do I call it? I don't actually call it anything. I actually say that the way that we teach other people who we are is broken. Mm. Um, You know, most of us, when, and I, I frame it with this very simple, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Which is, yes, a lot of people are like, oh, I never answer that question. Like when you first meet somebody and that first interaction and somebody starts to get to learn about you, mm-hmm. um, really the question that's going on in the other person's head is, are you interesting enough to continue this conversation? Right? Let's be yes. real. And either it's, ooh, you are super interesting, or it's absolutely not. And if, say, for instance, uh, Michelle Obama popped into this podcast for a second, you'd be all like, Joanna who? Because you want to talk to... I would too. Like, I would not be offended. I'd be all like, oh my God, Michelle Obama's here. Let's chat with her because it's way more interesting. So um, she already has value proposition, a brand or whatever, Mm-hmm. because of our reaction to her and we'd be all like oh, oh my god I assume you would be all excited to have Michelle Obama as an example I know I would um 
And so that whole, like, who is that? Like, do you know who the person is? And if you don't, then what is it? How do you start that conversation? And, um, and just to explain to your audience, I've got this slightly weird accent because I have lived many, many years in the United States and many, many years in the UK, um, some of which in Texas. So I sound apparently to over the rest of the world, I sound weirdly Australian, but England plus Texas equals Australia in my head. So hence we the weird way of talking. It all works, right? Who knew? Which again, I come back to this, um, what are we teaching people about something? And just because I have a funny way of talking, um, it teaches somebody like in the United States, people think not all the time, but sometimes, especially in the South or in Texas, and I crank up the British accent a bit, they go, oh, you're very intelligent. And I'm like, I'm glad you think so. Um, just because the way I talk, because they usually I go, well, oh, where y'all from in that first mm-hmm. interaction. And so what we've been taught to do is either be very like either to be very humble and say, oh, you know, I do something very small and I'm not allowed to brag about it. Or I'm X title at X company. Yes. Which which is what we all generally do. And I'm like, X title at X company. And I don't matter. And it does matter what the company is. So if I was to say, um, you know, for a while there, I worked for all sorts of groovy dot-com companies. Um, and getting to talk about their brand is incredibly lifting. I get to lift with it. Um, but that really doesn't tell me a story about why I would want to have a continued conversation with you. And when I think about, you know, especially as professionals, and this is going to sound a tiny bit transactional, but as you are going out and as a professional, one of the things that we are constantly taught is the value is of networking. Mm-hmm. Because when you network, people get to find out about you, which is important because, and this is what I am known for saying, every decision made about you and your opportunities is made in a room you are not in. And I sit here and I go, okay, if that statement is true, which it is, absolutely. Now, for anybody who's all like, well, but I get to decide. Yes, it's a bi-directional marketplace. You get to choose whether you want to take the opportunity, but that first decision, and it's everything from, does somebody want to go out with a date with you all the way through to, well, do I want to give them a board role? And especially only because I know a lot of your listeners are board people, like the, what I have learned from board recruiters consistently is they don't even pick up the phone to ask you if you are interested until they have already vetted you. They've already had the conversation in the room that you're not in. So I sit here and I say for board people, I go, look, if that's true and you're not even part of, like the first question of the, if every decision made about you and your opportunities is made in a room that you're not in, the first question I ask is, well, are you part of the consideration set? Like, do they even know you exist? And if they do what are the words they are using to describe you? Mm. And if it's something, I'm about to say a slightly bad word, like, oh, you know, Lisa's really good at getting shit done. Well, that's awesome. But you know what? Get shit done, girls. Get given shit to do. They don't get to be in really smart strategic positions, making really thoughtful things. Now, if they then come in and say, well, Lisa has a really interesting strategy about XYZ and ABC. Well, that's a very different conversation Mm -hmm. because what we've all been taught and why this idea of value proposition is we've all been in essence taught how to talk about our features, what we do, as opposed to our value, which is how we think and our potential. And so I sit here and I say, look, as a professional, you should absolutely figure out how to talk about why you are uniquely awesome in the future and teach it to other people so they can go, ooh, I want that awesome future thing that you're going to get because that's, that is the thing that we buy from each other. We buy our future that mm. is this person interesting enough to continue the conversation is all about the future you. Now, whether that manifests into money, business development, job opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't actually matter. It's are you teaching you who you really are? And I sit here and I say there isn't a product on the planet. I mean, not even apples are sold with 
just it's an apple. They have all sorts of fancy names to make it sound, you know, crispy juiciness thing. They talk about what is the emotional feeling. And I sit here and I say, you know, what you think about a value proposition for a product is the value proposition is the solution to a problem. And I say the, the reality is, is the, for human beings, the tr- it's the same thing. And because I am a super nerd and I love technology, I sit here and I go, I want all of the toys. Um, now I want them with maybe some privacy and some other stuff, but I want, I want a robot in my kitchen making me crudite. I want self-driving cars because people are generally terrible drivers. Sorry, if you've looked at the data, Self-driving car technology is already about 200x more accurate than a human being. Already. And it's pretty bad, right? And I just sit here and I go, I want all the drivers to be 200% better. Thank you very much. And I sit here and I say, so with robotics and AI and all of the good stuff that I think is very exciting, um, if we continue to talk about ourselves like we are doers and machines like the features and this is what I do and this is what I produce, then we're going to be competing against them as opposed to actually talking about our, our thinking self and what is it our brain does. And what is universally true is that absolutely everybody I do this work with when I say, okay, well, what is the value? Like what is the future you that you want to share with people is that, there isn't a person I've worked with from a high school student to um, I did a transformation on a three-star Marine general the other day, who I will absolutely say scared the bejesus out of me because um, he was a very scary American Marine person. They just are. And I'm a slightly teeny tiny person. Um, but, you know, in every single scenario, everybody has some sort of magic that's in them that they didn't even know that they had and that they could they could put out there. And I, I just say, if we start to have the conversation differently, then we learn how to buy each other's future time, which also, and if you take agency around it, you also then get to choose what future time you sell. And when that all starts to happen, you get hired for what you are uniquely good at and you get to love to do it too. And that, when I sit here and I say like, what is human satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera, is why I do this kind of for everybody who will stand still long enough because I'm like that, mm. that's when cool things happen. And it can be, it can be different for everybody. And it can be like, we're talking to a bunch of super ambitious people who have really big plans and goals and hooray for that all the way through to, you know, I was talking with, um, I was actually talking with a Methodist minister the other day, um, which was a fascinating, like learning how decisions are made in rooms that you're not in, in the, uh, in a religious organization was, uh, I was like, is, is, are the constructs still true? They are by the way. Um, and while she's certainly ambitious, ambition as a Methodist minister looks very different um, and how do you frame that? And, you know, are you really positioning who that is? Not only to the people who are deciding whether she's going to get this congregation to lead, but then also her congregation too. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I get the vibe <laughs> that you and I are totally on board with this concept. Yeah, the team um, very yeah, good. I, I totally feel like you just crawled inside my brain and just read out stuff that was written on the walls. Um, Far more eloquently, I think, that I could ever position it, though. Because to me, it seems like such an an obvious and simple, not just idea, but thing that we all need to do. Like, it's not just for for positioning you for board roles. It's it's professional. It's it's other things as well. Um, Why do you think people have such a hard time? Oh, the list of things. Well, so for a number of reasons. So one... Um, I'm going to actually use technology again as a bit of a construct because I think this helps um, helps people understand how I think about this. So when I think about, um, so my history before I started becoming this slightly crazy person, I was always a bit of a crazy person, I will admit that. But my history was very much in technology up until about five years ago. I still... I'm still obsessed with everything. I'm fascinated with technology and I'm always curious about, I'm currently obsessed with the whole no code world. I think it's very interesting. Um, But anyway, uh, I used to help companies build software and software stack solutions 
And when you're building software, um, you have to kind of build this organic digital thing. Um, and when you're building it, you have to think about it in, and I'm going to really simplify this. So anyone who's an engineer is going to be like, oh my God, this is so basic. It is basic, but you think about software in three kind of constructs. One is the database layer. So what is all of the, the words and what have you and the data points you're going to have or something. Then you have your um, programming or business logic layer, which is all of the if-then statements. And then you have a UI layer, which is, okay, no one's going to understand. Like if you think about the movie The Matrix, only Neo could actually read that weird green runny code stuff because he had weird abilities. Most of us were like, that just looks like green numbers raining across the screen. Um, and that's why we have a UI layer, so we can actually see that. And if you think about the matrix, that's what the robots, the machines were doing, was making a uni- making a world for us that we understood. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I can't believe I actually just talked about the matrix and this construct, but it totally works. Um, and so coming back to the why it's hard, step one is I believe today we are all living and existing. The construct, the how we talk about people, how we think about people is all buried in the database layer. We talk about title, we talk about tenure, we talk about productivity, we talk about certificates, we talk about Mm. badges, we talk about how much money you make. Um, We talk about skills and it's all, and you think about the resume, a resume is just a bunch of words. Yeah. And you think about, um, I mean, you and I have talked about some of the really horrifying statistics about how long people actually read it. Like, I think the average resume, if it gets into the hands of a decision maker, which it has a one in 250 chance of doing these days. Wow. And that's if it makes it past the applicant tracking system, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a whole different don't get me like the math there is horrifying and is even worse now. So if it makes it into the hands of the decision of a hiring manager, the average hiring manager looks at it for no more than seven seconds. Wow. And I sit here and I go board bios, all of that stuff. Like I know they are important and you still have, like you still need the database layer for the software to work. Very, very important. And even more important in an AI world, which is kind of what, I mean, humans aren't AI, but play along with me. Super important for it to all be there, but we're expecting the UI layer is much more complex. So the first reason it's hard is people have to say, hang on a second, I want to step out of the database layer. And um, which means you have to break the rules a little bit and you have to learn how to break the rules and you have to be able to teach the person who you are trying to break the rules with how to come along with you. Um, and one of the one of the examples that I share with people when I'm performing or something like that is, um, you know, when I went to go interview for my last like proper job, I was an executive at this company called Pandora, which was a big music company in the U.S., and was interviewing for technically database layer the VP of ad tech role. And I sat down with the CEO and he asked me, and I'll get a bit technical here. It'll make, it doesn't make sense, but it's the good example. And he said to me, you know, his first question was, Joanna, do you think we should replace DoubleClick as the ad serving system? Which for a VP of ad tech was a very rational, appropriate question. And I said, I'm really sorry, Mr. Kennedy, but I think you're asking the wrong question. And he looked at me like, who on earth do you think you are? And I said, would you like me to explain to you what I think the right question is and why? And he was like, please do. And I said, can I draw it on a whiteboard? And he was like, now he was really starting to get uncomfortable. And he goes, yes, go ahead. And I then ended up drawing this entire, like how they needed to flip the supply chain and how the media supply chain worked. And I used cars as an analogy um, and talked to, and basically the end of it and said, like, I said, by asking me the question, should we replace DoubleClick as the ad serving system? I said, you're basically asking me, should we build this car around its muffler? H- ironically, I found out that Mr. Kennedy actually built the Saturn brand for GM. And so was a bit of a car expert. <laughs> I had not done my homework. I was a bad girl. Um, but the analogy worked. And, and so I taught him how I thought as opposed to what he thought the right answers were. And so everyone's like, I can't believe you told the CEO that he was wrong in the first 30 seconds of an interview. And I'm like, well, if you know what you're talking about and the product that you're selling, you can do that because you want them to buy. If he had hired me to be the VP of ad tech, 
Because at the end of the interview, I said to him, I said, look, I said, before we go, I said, this is, it was an amazing conversation. I am still friends with Joe today. I said, at the end of it, I said, look, I said, if this is the job description that you and the organization believe you need to hire for, this is not who I am. And I said, but if you want to buy the thing that I drew on that whiteboard and the vision that comes along with it, I said, it's a completely different job description, which I'm more than happy to write after you've hired me, just so that HR people will get off your back. But that's what you're getting if you hire me. And I said, the question is, is which of these two things do you want? Because if you want the one on the piece of paper, I'm going to introduce you to somebody else. And he goes, no, no, I want the thing on the whiteboard. And I was like, fantastic, let's go. And I sit here and I go, that's that's what started to happen. So it's getting out of that database layer and that thing takes the courage to break the rules. Then, and this is where um, things get almost to the point of therapy to a certain extent. Like a lot of people go, oh, Joanna, coaching with you is a little bit like therapy and uh, marketing and confidence work all in one go because the reality with all of our programming is some of it is visible and some of it is invisible and some of it is visible to ourselves and some of it is invisible to ourselves Mm -hmm. and because we live in this in essence double-sided marketplace where your value is just as much about your experience as it is about your potential the exercise you have to go through is actually to say, I need to figure out what are other people saying about who I am and what I'm all about. Mm. Because often the thing, and this has become universally true for me, um, is that especially when I'm working with really senior executives, the thing that is their own alchemy. um, And they really do. If you've made it to... VP or higher level within an organization, it's really hard to get there. Like you are already brilliant, but you probably have, you absolutely have some sort of special alchemy that is almost invisible to you because you go, well, it's like breathing. Exactly. And everybody goes, but that isn't a thing. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And it's figuring out what that thing is and saying like, for your, and this is where the future you comes in. I say for your future of all of the things that you are awesome at doing, what are the things that we need to actually purposely share with people? Mm. And um, so A, there's this usually an entire bucket of stuff that is fantastic that you're like, but this isn't valuable. And everybody else goes, oh, but it is, but it looks like magic. And you can't, you can't go, well, I just do this magic thing. You actually have to put real language around it. Um, and, and this is the, this is the hilarious psychological thing. Um, like, Everybody wants to be all of the good words and none of the bad words, obviously. It's kind of like everybody thinks they have good taste and a sense of humor. Not so much. Um, Although I do. Uh, But you sit here and go, I want to be all of the good words. And we've also been taught to be like, I'm this and 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 this. And you can't be all of the things. And you're not. Um, One of my, and here's a challenge for your listeners, one of the more alarming slash interesting questions that we challenge people going through a lot of my programming. And sometimes this is in person. Sometimes this isn't is we say, go ask somebody what one positive word doesn't describe you. Mm. Right. Yes. That is (laughs) so powerful because well, so a, the person you're asking it to can't be flippant with their answer because usually you're asking somebody who quite likes you and they're trying to be nice because we are, people are generally nice, all media aside. Um, and when you get the answer, because you always want to be all the positive words, it's kind of this jarring thing. And I'll, I'll share mine. I do all of these exercises on myself as practice first. Um, and the most consistent word, you're about to laugh, the most consistent word I get back on what I am not is gentle. <laughs> yeah, see, I told you you would laugh because I am, I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop. I have a lot of personality and I just bull right through and sometimes I smash some stuff there along the way. But, and when I first heard that, I got all stroppy and I was like, wait a second. No, I'm totally gentle. What are you talking about? <laughs> and um, somebody just started to laugh at me as you just did. And what it's taught me as an executive is um, I actually know that sometimes my team need gentler people. 
And we actually give them a bit of a playbook at the beginning. And we say, look, I'm a, I'm a bit of a bull in a china shop. And especially when I'm excited about something, like watch out because I might smash you along the way. Yeah. Um, but if you're enthusiastic and excited, like come j- join the bandwagon. There's a lot of energy around this. But if you need to go to somebody who is, it's not that I can't be gentle, but it's not my normal operating state. But I just um, think that you're expressing gentleness in a different way. I do. I and feel like people would say the same thing about me. Well, like, but then I also come back and I say to people, because it's so interesting, and I've gotten to talk, like I, um, I worked with a, a former professional quarterback once, big guy, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and when we were working together, I had my little box of Kleenex out because, and he looked at me and he was like, really? And I said, "Mm, people end up having a little bit of a weepy moment with me. It's kind of weird, even though I'm everything. And, uh, and he absolutely had one. I'm just going to say that because I I was kind of like, wow, really him too. But I said to him, I said, look, my job, you're coming to me because you know that the current state is untenable. Mm. And it means I need to make you a little bit, it needs to be a bit uncomfortable and you need to actually step out of your current zone. And I said, so my job is to have my hand at your back and go, look, you're safe. I got you. It's awesome. And then I give you a little bit of a push and Mm -hmm. that's not very gentle. And that is, it's actually pushing you into that next phase because I don't, I don't play by all of the rules. Um, But that whole programming conversation um, is a real journey down memory lane for people. Like one of my other favorite questions is what were you really good at when you were eight? Mm. And especially for women, because good Lord, there isn't an eight year old girl on the planet who isn't ferociously fierce and ambitious and confident and all of those words. And I just sit here and I go, who were you then? Because inevitably what they were good at then always shows up in their adult phase. And I sit here and I go, those are the stories. And it's not, oh, this is what I used to do when I was eight, but you can see that. And this is why the programming becomes an invisible because if you were good at it when you were eight, you've been good at it your entire life. So of course you don't see the value. Hmm. You know, the example I give to people is actually with um, Starbucks. Uh, I was, I forget where I was somewhere and I was looking at Twitter And I noticed that Starbucks, the app had gone down in New York and the entire Eastern seaboard of the United States like lost their mind. They were like, (laughs) cancel the day. I have to go into a Starbucks and actually talk to a person to get a coffee. Like I'm shutting, like this is, I mean, this was pre-COVID and we were pretty, a bunch of divas then, right? Mm -hmm. Like people were losing their mind because they didn't have a Starbucks app. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I don't think we've had the Starbucks app that long. And we had had it, I think for 18 months Wow. And we were already like, this is standard operating procedure. And we're so used to, used to all of those things. Mm-hmm. So the programming layer is this um, not only journey into who you are and what is your value, but also who do you want to present? Yeah. And then I talk about the UI layer and boy, do we make it hard for people to understand who we are and what we're all about. Totally. And that's where my alchemy mm-hmm. um, is not only can I pull you through the database business logic programming layer, and at, but then, uh, you know, 25 years in digital media marketing and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, I can put a pretty, put a pretty packaging around this so that people understand because the goal there with your UI layer is to be recognizable enough that people understand your value, mm. but not so recogni- not so generic that people are like, so you need to be unique and recognizable at the same time. And I think like, um, I think for the listeners as an example, because this one happens quite a lot with executives is I say, well, what are you known for? And they go, well, I'm known as being really strategic. And I go, hmm, isn't that your job? Would yeah. You, if you weren't strategic. And by the way, if you were talking to all the rest of the executives, wouldn't they say they were strategic too? And I'm like, yeah, strategy is part of your role. And especially if you're going into a board position, but that's boring. Yeah, totally. It it doesn't make you stand out. And so this is where I come back to, that's a database layer. And I sit here and I go, you're not talking, you know, often. um, And it depends, again, it depends on the kind of board role you want and what is the board makeup and what are they looking for? Um, But they might be wanting to understand your area of expertise. They might be wanting to understand how you think. They might be needing, 
you know, what are your leadership skills? And it's understanding mm-hmm. how to mm-hmm. present those mm-hmm. in a way that makes you easy to buy. Yeah, that addresses all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, which is why, you know, I know, and I love that you talked about the unique value proposition. Like everybody says to me, well, Joanna, just give me the one sentence. And I'm like, you're way more exciting than a swoosh on a shoe. You are more than just do it. You are more than like McDonald's golden arches. Um, You actually, because we are human beings, you need to personalize. Context matters. You need to personalize the product for the audience. Yeah. Um, And so you can have a framework for it mm-hmm. that is you, but as you're talking to person A, person B, person C, you need to adjust appropriately, which is yeah. ultimately at the end of the day what I try to teach people is what is the framework so that you can do that. And the fact that we are all learning, growing, changing, amazing human beings. And similar to my story, like what was that, 10 years ago, I thought building an ad tech stack and the organization around it was going to be the best thing ever. 10 years later. And I'm like, yeah, I did that. Nice. I'm going to do this whole other thing because yeah. we, we like to go on different adventures in our careers. At least I do. No, absolutely. And I think that that happens. So many people I talk to have, have had that significant shift in their career or, or, or dual career. Um, I did want to touch on something that you mentioned though, the story around the Pandora um, interview that you had. <laughs> and it, to me, I feel like there might be some people listening because I recently did a session with a group of CPAs in in Adelaide here, and you They're know, like, absolutely <laughs> not. I can't do that. Yeah, that you know, accountants have <laughs> a kind of stereotype personality uh, for a reason. So bless their hearts, because I love numbers, people. Um, but I feel like them or someone who's who's equally maybe a little bit shy or just yeah. unsure of themselves that they might be thinking oh this is just for the confident people yeah and that's that's a very common thank you for saying that because you are absolutely right i am i'm saying break the rules within your version of who you are not the way i do it because you know as you've probably already figured out what you are all not seeing is normally when i perform i wear big fluffy pink earrings and sequins a lot of time. I've been described as like Bette Midler meets Tony Robbins meets Steve Wozniak. There's a lot of Joanna going on. It's part of the fun for me. I'm out there to entertain and. Um, And, you know, ironically, like I have uh, an enormous amount of lawyers that I work with, very similar, um, because language for them is the holy grail. Like their Mm -hmm. language says so much more for lawyers. And I think it's fascinating. And lawyers' jobs are actually to mitigate risk quite often at the end of the day. Um, So are actually accountants. I think they're all fascinating. And so I'm not saying you need to be bold. Well, you do need to be confident in yourself, but confident in yourself in the way that you are. And so I'm trying to think of an example of somebody... um, Actually, I've got a really great example. I'm going to have to kind of adjust the story a tiny bit just for privacy sake. But I had, I'm actually going to use a lawyer because I think there's a lot of correlation in style who um, came to me because they've been in big corporate law for a very long time and were looking to get into the world of startup law and had been given an opportunity to work with a, I think it was a Bitcoin company, something, it was something in microfinancing, something like that. And so there was a bit of a finance piece there. And as I was talking to her, um, what seemed to be a drumbeat for her more than, I mean, not that this isn't a drumbeat for all this again, this is not all the words, but the drumbeat for her was ethics. Mm -hmm. Um, She absolutely had this very core, Um, almost immovable thing around ethics. And I said to her, I said, gosh, I said, you know, just listening to who you are and what you're all about. um, I just want to put this out here is I'm not sure this is the job for you. I said, because the kind of lawyer that they're going to need in their organization is not one that breaks the law. I said, but the reality is in the cryptocurrency space, there is no law. And if they're going to want to push the envelope here, and I said, and if that really goes against who you are and what you're all about, you're going to be really unhappy there. Um, 
And I said, but you should go find this out. I said, who knows? They might be a very different organization. And in the interview process, she actually figured out that that was actually true and then declined the opportunity mm. and didn't actually, didn't come across, I mean, because she was talking about who she was and how she thought, um, it allows you to have that conversation and actually find out whether the organization is a good fit for you. And even, yes, even if you're a CPA, um, even if even if you're in anything, you have things that are uniquely you yeah. that I want you to be able to talk about. And yes, I was a VP talking with a CEO um, and was very confident, but you do need to actually believe in you so that you can be also curious and excited about what it is you're going to do. And that, like, at the end of the day, that's the thing that everybody wants to optimize for. So yes, you don't have to be crazy like me, but you do have to be you. And confident in that and comfortable, which is why I I really encourage people to sit with this and and find a a version of their or or how they describe themselves, which I call their unique value proposition, to the point that they're comfortable with it. Because if you talk about it and you're kind of awkward, that's going to come across. Again, it comes across as the, what are you messaging? And you're messaging, I don't believe in the thing. But that's why Mm. I always come back to people who are like, oh, but how do I do that? And who are spending hours writing their resume or board buyer and are hating every moment. As I go, go ask people. Yes. Because this is the beautiful thing is um, there isn't a human being I've met who doesn't have, and let's keep mom and siblings and all that on a different category Mm -hmm. because I actually tell my clients do not talk I mean talk to your family at the end of this but do not ask them for their feedback on this because gosh moms love them but they have there's way too much extra in there that gets them on a wonky thing plus I've yet to meet most modern working person who their mom actually knows what the heck they do for a living anymore but I say go out and ask people what it is you're known for um if somebody you know ask somebody um you know, when you see me doing something and you see me really working beautifully, what is it I'm doing? Ask them to describe it. You know, part of this journey for me was, um, you know, I had a uh, colleague who was incredibly generous without me even asking with how I think. And he, you know, one day he laughed at me and he goes, do you understand that you basically make most engineers completely crazy? And I was like, no, why do they think I'm crazy? I have brilliant ideas. And he goes, no, no, they think you have brilliant ideas. And he goes, but your thinking process is incredibly nonlinear. And, and he said, and the reality for most engineers, they think very linearly. And he goes, and because you don't get to the end very quickly, he goes, they all just sit here and go, God, she's just going. And so I said, really, is this what's going on? And this wasn't Joanna being pushy broad for a change. And so the next time he and I were in a meeting with a group of the engineers, he said, look, he goes, I want to explain to you all how Joanna thinks for just a second. And he goes, I know that when she starts going, it sounds like she's never going to get to the finish line. But the reality is if you let her kind of go, she actually speaks and talks at the same time. Um, so speaks and she speaks and thinks at the same time. And he goes, her process as the words come out is how she envisions the future. And he goes, if you just let her go, it may take her a little bit longer, but when she comes out at the other end, she comes out with something genius. And I looked at him and I was like, what is this? I speak and think at the same time thing that you speak on. I had no idea. Wow. And he looked at me and he goes, no, this is what you do. Half the room was like, Oh, that totally makes sense. <laughs> like, and the other half of the room were like, well, we already knew this. And we had the conversation and everybody came up afterwards. And this wasn't Joanna Jazz Hands here. This was Joanna being software designy brain. And they were like, now I know how to buy your brain. Now, well, I didn't actually say buy your brain, but they were like, now I know how to engage you. And then I had some, a handful of them would come up and go, talk to me about this long, nonlinear thinking, like what works for you? And we actually deconstructed how I thought. And it meant that how I thought and how other people think may became really great. And I sit here and I'm going to use your CPA example. You know, you think about who a CPA is working with or anybody in the finance organization, and they have to deal with the creative team and the sales organization and the marketing team. And I'll tell you, creative sales and marketing, non-linear off the chart. 
and helping them think how do you bridge those two things are really what actually makes your life a lot easier. Mm. Wow, we've gone down a whole rabbit hole of different stuff there. No, we have. And I, I want to start wrapping things up. But in addition to to getting that external feedback about kind of what what is uniquely you, what is valuably yep. uniquely you, how else can people start to identify and articulate exactly what their unique value proposition is? Well, I mean, you do, it is a bit of the market research thing. So you have to go out and ask people and it's starting to pay attention. Um, you know, everybody talks about flow or um, those sort of things. Like, what are you doing when that's happening? Um, the other thing I also recommend for people is um, as you are figuring it out, go out and practice it. Practice talking about it on people because you are never going to have a perfect version of how to talk about yourself because context matters and all of this sort of stuff. And you were right about the confidence stuff is, um, you know, anybody who goes through my programming, I actually say to them, I say, look, when you go out and practice this, say to the, say to the person, Hey, I've been listening to this person about how I need to talk about my unique value. And I would like to practice with you. And actually say the word practice out loud, because what it does is it puts somebody in a much a kinder state. So they're not being immediately like that's garbage and no, um, which generally people don't, but it does, you know, often people think when you say something that you're looking for feedback and you're not, you're actually, you don't want feedback. What you want to know is, did it land? Mm. Which is comes to the second question I always challenge people to say, to ask is when you're sharing how you talk about yourself, what you need to find out is not whether they think it's good or not. What you need to find out is what did they remember? Mm. And so I say to people, the first question you should ask is, so you say all of your stuff and this is absolutely what's going to happen. You say, this is how I describe what I do. And then they're going to go, oh, well, what about this and this and this and this and this? And you go, all of those are important, but these are the things that I want to highlight. Here's my question though what did you hear? And when you ask the question, what did you hear? Two things happen. One, the, they're going to tell you exactly what they remember in that moment, which is, you know, the equivalent I give to people is um, when I say Sheryl Sandberg to a lot of audiences and say, what is she known for? I get lean in as an answer. That's the lean in type answer is what you'll get is what you're already known for. The second thing it does, which I think is far more important is it gives somebody who is already a fan of you a practice session on how to talk about why you're awesome in the language that you want, which if you come back to this, every decision made about you and your opportunities is made in a room that you're not in. If you are in the consideration set, the second question is, what are they saying about you? You've just taught mm. the room how to talk about you. Bonus points, if you really want, like if they are super special, important person, but you really want to make sure they have it, is you text them, WhatsApp them, email them, whatever, about 72 hours later. And if you think about the forgetting curve, that's the perfect time. And you say, Hey, do you remember that weird thing I did the other day? What do you remember? And that's what people remember about you and say about you in a room that you're not in. And it's practicing that and reteaching your audience mm -hmm. over time that actually starts to change the conversation about you. Mm. So you're your own advertiser. Basically. Yes. Yes, but in I don't come out. You, the goal is, and I actually challenge. Well, I'll tell everybody. I do. Um, there's a YouTube channel that you can actually go online and see me transform a amazing um, banking executive for your CPA people. She'll be perfect. Um, who got up on stage with me and we went, I went from you're super boring to she was made. She was amazing. Um, and we do this transformation. There's a bunch of other videos of uh, all of the, we do a live show every Friday. Although I think it's a terrible, it's at noon Pacific, which I think is a terrible time for you, but they're recorded. We put them up on YouTube. Um, I do not actually live in a world where you come out and say, Oh, I do this. You don't come out and go, I am this fantastic awesomeness. And this is all because that's, ugly and nobody wants that does actually sound bad. And so I actually have a whole framework around what is the problem that you believe needs solving the world? What's the solution to it? And that you're the solution so that people go, Oh, I have that problem. 
I want that solution. I want you. And that framework is how I then say, like, take your, your programming and actually pivot it into a problem solution statement, because that's how we buy things. Absolutely. And people, you know, it's, yeah. it's not very dissimilar. Um, yeah. and we'll certainly share that link in the yes. show notes so people can easily jump to that. But how else can people connect with you, get into All that? of the things. So I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn almost every day. Um, and pro tip for your listeners, even digitally, you are introducing yourself. And so one of my pet peeves, and I've made a graphic the other day on how to do this properly. Um, One of my pet peeves is when somebody connects with somebody with me on LinkedIn and doesn't put in a personal note as to why. Yes. So I'm like, that's almost the, the, the live version of somebody coming up and shoving their business card in your hand and going, take this. And then walking away, I go, you wouldn't do this in real person. Why are you going to, some people do. (laughs) I'm just, I'm horrified. And, or if you're going to send a person, like all the people who send those generic notes where they're like, we have mutual relation, uh, network. I'm like, be original people, like actually be a human being. Just be a human being. You can tell that they send the same generic they oh. just switch out the name, dear Lisa, dear Joanna, exact yeah. same message. Well, I call, yeah. I don't, I'm very polite. I actually write back and I go, I'm absolutely game with connecting with anybody. But my KPI, my key performance indicator is social generosity. And so if there's an opportunity for us to do something together, know that this is the thing that I always start with. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how you manifest that. And if they're trying to sell me something, that is it scores super low on the social generosity matrix. And I go, well, you just blew it already. Um, It does, it makes people, because they go, wait, what? And it makes, again, how do you become intriguing enough that people want a conversation? It does also mean I have all sorts of interesting people that I get to to partner with at the end of the day. But yeah, so Twitter and LinkedIn, at Joanna Bloor on both. Mm -hmm. Um, There's only, I think, five Joanna Bloors on the planet and the other four girls I've spoken to and I've said, super sorry, ladies, I've stolen everything. They're amazing. You'll you'll have to spell that surname out. So it's B as in boy, L-O-O-R. Well, we'll put all the links in there. Absolutely. And also uh, joannablore.com where you can find the program. We've got programming for... Um, people who are on a bit of a budget and need help with kind of self-service sort of activities all the way through to what we call the full fairy godmother where I come in and it's a whole shebang. Yeah, so I want to finish on that. Tell me about (laughs) this Barbara Streisand slash Steve Midler. Sorry, sorry, Barbara. (laughs) Bette Midler, Steve Jobs, did you say? Or Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak, yeah, the technical brains. And then Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins. What is that about? Well, that was, that was a gift when I was doing Marcus research. Cause I said, somebody said, this is who you are. And I was like, oh yes, because, um, this was my purview into who I, cause you know, I am, I would love, I wear sequins all the time. And the idea of being up on stage and singing and being funny just is fantastic, which is the Bette Midler piece. The Tony Robbins is the, um, I believe, I so believe in people, human potential, um, now he does it a bit aggressively. I'm a little kinder with the process, although we talked about not being gentle. And then I am a super nerd. Like I've met Steve Wozniak uh, and he was hilarious and brilliant. And what stuck with me is he was studying GPS technology at the time. And somebody asked him like, how is he studying it? And he was, he was in a small conference with him and he pulled out 12 different devices that he had in his pockets and he was testing all of it. And I was like, oh my God. I think I found a kindred spirit there. Um, I just, I love the curiosity around technology and all those sorts of things, but it does come back to this uh, because I I transform things and this whole character of a bit of this fairy godmother and sparkles. That's my Bette Midler version of it that I aspire to be. Um, Because I, you know, the whole Cinderella narrative, I think is telling the wrong story. It's telling the story of people needing to be rescued and I have, um, which if anybody's interested, I'm more, well, I'd actually send you a, a, a graphic on it, but 10 reasons why I think Cinderella's awesome. Um, one of which being, if you think about the moment that Cinderella and the fairy godmother meet, 
um, the fairy, A, Cinderella has a very clear idea of what her goal is. She knows that she wants to go to the ball because if she wanted to go to a basketball game, it would have been a very different outfit, right? So she's clear about who the future her needs to be. And the fairy godmother's job, the fairy godmother doesn't go to Cinderella, you're broken, you have weaknesses and you need to fix this and you need to fix that. Mm. All the fairy godmother does is says, you are already fabulous. Yes. The problem is that if you show up at the front gates in this tired little outfit and like no shoes and stuff, they're not even going to let you pass the front gate, let alone pass all of the decision makers to get you to the ballroom floor. And so I'm just going to judge this whole situation so that people will actually go, yes, you are allowed to be here and let you through all the way to the ballroom floor. Once you find your prince, well, sweetie, that's up to you. I have a couple of rules at the end. And so all she does is the transformation piece. And when I think about the potential, human potential in the workplace, and I have been so lucky to have really worked with some amazing people and create some really unbelievable B2C, B2B, all of the brands, right? Um, Getting to help people accelerate that process because they know how to get to their ball, so to speak, um, is what makes me happy at the end of the day. Plus, who doesn't want to wear sparkles? I mean, come on. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joanna. It's been a pleasure, hugely valuable, and um, I'm definitely sure that everyone has enjoyed that and gotten something from that conversation. Oh, well, this was a delight. And Lisa, I... I want all of your Cinderella dreams to come true um, because what you're doing is such amazing work. And I hope, teaser alert for everybody, that the shenanigans with the two of us have only just begun. Absolutely. We're on it. (laughs) Thanks so much, Joanna. Thank you. Wow. That was such an amazing conversation with so much value for you to master your unique value proposition to boost your board career. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And please feel free to share that you're listening and what your takeaways were from this episode on social media using the hashtag BoardShortsPodcast. Thanks so much again for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode.